The scripture reading tonight comes from two passages, from one in Daniel 6 and from one in Psalm 55. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. This is the word of the Lord. We are in the second week of Lent. And if, if you were not here last week, I do encourage you to listen. It was kind of the, the way we started off our journey together. And we see this as a, a journey towards Easter. We looked at Genesis 26 and Isaiah's, or rather Isaac's wells being plugged by his enemies. And the question we've asked you to think about this Lent is what, is what is going on in your life that might be plugging your wells? Is, is there any, anything in your life that might be keeping the flow of God's life, the flow of God's spirit from moving through you? That's, that's kind of our theme this limp. And the next four weeks, I'm going to uh, go back to some ancient ways that can help us unplug our wells. And, and a verse that's meant a lot to us over the years, is from Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And so what I want to do the next four weeks is is look at a particular ancient spiritual tradition, that of the the monks. And I, I I want to dig out four spiritual practices that can help us unplug our wells. Now, Lord willing, uh, I hope to begin my my annual Lenten retreat uh, Monday, March 14th at Christ in the Desert Monastery. And I think we might have a picture of it there. Um, I very much appreciate from the beginning of the church, you all have graciously let me go to a pastor's conference, and um, that's where I go (laughs) for, for my pastor's retreat. Um, there are no pastors there, but it's, it's just right. Um, <laughs> it probably says more about me than uh, anything else. But there are 30 mo- monks, brothers there that, from all over the, the world uh, that are hidden away in the, the Chama Canyon wilderness. It's in northwestern New Mexico. You go about 50 miles to the north of Santa Fe. You get off on a dirt road that you can't see. It uh, goes for 13 miles. And then you come up to the back of the canyon, and that's, that's what you find. Um, when we get there, uh, I'll go to the guest master. I'll ask him where my cell is. I'll be about a half a mile away from there. It's a, it, it, there is heat. There's no electricity. It's a cinder block cell with a bed, a table, and a cross. Um, I'll take a medallion that's on the desk that says, Silence, please. It will indicate that I, I don't wish to talk for the week. Uh, I'll put that around me. Um, I'll go to bed. At 3.50 in the morning, the bell in the Abbey Church will ring out. 
calling the community to vigils, which is the first hour of prayer. Uh, I'll probably roll over. Um, the, <laughs> the bell will again ring at 5.30 for lauds, which is the second hour of prayer, and I will join them for that hour. Uh, then I will go to Mass, uh, which immediately follows. Uh, I won't take the Eucharist, because that is forbidden. A silent breakfast follows. Uh, the bell will ring again at 8.30. The monks will gather for terse, which is the third hour of prayer. Then the brothers work until 12.40. And uh, some years I join them. Uh, they invite you to join them in their work. A few years ago, we built a, uh, a wall around their cemetery. Uh, some years I just read. Depends on how cold it is, honestly. Um, then the bell rings again at 1.00. The monks gather for sept, which is the fourth hour of prayer. Uh, then I'll join the community for the main meal in the refectory. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Nobody talks, but one brother uh, reads first from Scripture and then from a book on the spiritual life for the entire meal. At 3.30, the bell will ring again. The brothers will gather for known, which is the fourth hour of prayer. Then they go back and they practice Lectio Divina, which is a way of reading the word that focuses on hearing the spirit in the reading. At 5.50, the bell sounds, and I'm told actually that they nap a lot during that time, because if you got up at 3.40, you would too. Uh, at 5.50, the bell sounds for Vespers, the fifth hour of prayer. Uh, then we gather for a silent meal as the sun sets over the Chama River Valley. And then at 7.30, the bell sounds for Compline, which is the sixth and final hour of prayer. And uh, that's my favorite service. Uh, the abbot uh, will sprinkle everyone with water as you Walk out, and then the great silence begins, and no one is to speak until the following morning. So there's six prayer services. Uh, they mostly consist of praying the Psalms. And uh, I believe that the monks pray through the entire book of Psalms uh, every two weeks. There's also a number of scripture readings and a few written prayers. And they call this doing the work of God, uh, the Opus Dei. Uh, and St. Benedict, in his Rule, which is a guide for monastic life written in the 5th century, says that the monks are always in the presence of God, but especially near God when they were, are at prayer. And the, this is how the monks pray without ceasing. This is what they're trying to do, stopping six times a day. For prayer. Now, why do they do that? Well, they are drawing upon the practices of Judaism, the early church, and Jesus himself. Let me show you just briefly why we know that. The Jewish day was punctuated by prayer breaks at fixed hours. And if we could have Psalm 55 up there, you get a window into how the psalmist prayed. I call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he will hear my voice. Uh, this was uh, the way Israel prayed. They would come together three times a day for prayer, morning, noon, and evening. And the passage we read in Daniel shows that as a devout Jew in Babylon, uh, Daniel continued to practice that. If you could put that up there, Bruce. Um, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chain open toward Jerusalem. 
he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed. And if you remember anything about the book of Daniel, he did that at great cost to himself personally. That's how important it was that, that as a godly Jew, he would stop everything and pray three times a day. Uh, a New Testament scholar says this, these three hours of prayer, together with the benediction said before and after meals, were Israel's greatest treasure, the skeleton framework for an education in prayer and for the practice of prayer for everyone from the youth upwards. Now, when you go into the New Testament, you find that the apostles continue to practice uh, this kind of prayer. Uh, the first great miracle takes place on the temple steps. Peter and John are going to their three o'clock prayers. Acts 3.1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The great vision that Peter has instructing the church to welcome the Gentiles takes place at noon prayers, Acts 10.9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that was noon, to pray. And he has this vision. This is just the way they thought about prayer. You would stop morning, noon, and evening, and you would have your prayers. And if you read the church fathers, uh, they all assume that that is what's happening in the first centuries of the church. When Islam comes along in the sixth century, they borrow the practice from the Christians who borrowed it from the Jews. Now, sometime uh, during the very early years of our church, I was on retreat at a monastery in Kentucky called Gethsemane. And uh, I've been going there about the time for 10 years. And uh, there was a large woods over across the street from the monastery. And yes, I once got lost and a FedEx truck had to drive me back to town. <laughs> but that's another story. Um, this day, I, I learned to not go very far into the woods, um, as I'm prone to lose my way. And I remember having a distinct conversation with the Lord where I said, Lord, I, I love the monastery. I meet you out here. I love the prayers. I feel so peaceful and so connected to you out here. Why have you called me to plant a church in the city? And what I sensed him say was, go back home and do this. Create a kind of a, an urban monastic community in the heart of your city. And that's an idea we've been talking about for some time now, almost, I'd say, even since the beginning of the church. Now, it's a fair question to say, now, wait a minute. Aren't, isn't that a contradiction? Because aren't monasteries all about moving away from the city? How could, you, how could you take the practices of a monastery and move them towards a city? Well, there is a tradition within monasticism that focuses on cities. We call it urban monasticism. And there's four people that I consider as kind of patron saints of urban monasticism. The first guy is St. Basil. And in the fourth century, he, he left the city for the desert he was in a monastery praying, and he had this vision, and the Lord essentially said, go back to the city. 
And so he goes back to a large city in Turkey, and he creates something called the New City, which became kind of a hospital and Mother Teresa-type ward for the poor that operated in his monastery. Then uh, St. Francis founded an urban monastic order in the 12th century, and his followers practiced monastic rhythms. They prayed, they worked, uh, but instead of Pulling away, they went out into the city to preach the gospel and care for the poor. Thomas Akempis wrote a famous book called The Imitation of Christ. He was a layman, but he lived with 30 other laymen and women in a big house in a city in, in Germany, and they would practice prayers together. They had a little business, and he would write, and they'd, they'd serve their community through hospitality. Dorothy Day is an example of a 20th century urban monk she was a journalist and a social reformer. She lived a very bohemian lifestyle, and she shocked her friends by joining the Catholic Church in 1927. She started a movement called the Catholic Worker. She began to read about St. Basil. Inspired by St. Basil, she rented out two tenement houses in Little Italy and moved 30 fellow Christians into the slums to live in community they would serve a 1,000 meals a day, and they would live together, study the word together, and pray together. And I see these four people as kind of the patron saints of urban monasticism. So in, in a humble and, and very limited and imperfect way, uh, one of the things we're trying to do at All Souls is to follow the footsteps of these people. We're, we're in some ways like an urban monastery. And, and I'd like to just pause for a little advertisement here. Um, next Sunday after church, we're going to have pizza, and we're going to watch a, a great movie called Of Gods and Men that's about uh, a monastery next to a village in Algeria during a war. It's a true story. Uh, and how the brothers cared for their community. Because I've always seen that as a, as a picture of what we might be. It's PG-13. If your parents, uh, we put on the website a, uh, a link to the, the parental guide. Um, so, in Janie, uh, too, Howard, you better read that, too, because it's kind of intense. Um, so, uh, just read that before you decide whether or not you, you want your kids to come. Um, so, one of the gifts an urban monastery gives to the city is the gift of prayer. And honestly, that's one of the reasons we moved into this building. Uh, gosh, a long time ago now, seven years ago as it came available, and we thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could offer the gift of prayer to our city? And so we put money into a chapel right off from the start so that that could be part of our ministry. And the dream has always been uh, that we'd offer prayer morning, noon, and night for our city. And we're not far towards that. We have prayer time on Monday at noon. We have a prayer time at Wednesday at 8. We have a prayer time Sunday night after church and a lot of other prayer times in between. But that's always kind of been the dream, that one of the gifts we give to our city is the gift of daily prayer for her. Of course, we don't all live together, and so we can't all walk to the chapel for prayer. And the way the roads are, you probably couldn't get there if you wanted to. Um, so one of the things that we try to do is we join millions of other Christians and pray three times a day by ourselves. And sometimes this is called praying the hours. Now, 
One of the ways that, uh, that people normally do this is by using prayer books. And um, here are four common ones. Um, this is one uh, on the left that I'm doing this year, The Divine Hours by Phyllis Tickle. The one on the right is by Shane Claiborne and his community. It's called Common Prayer. Uh, Celtic Daily Prayer is a wonderful uh, prayer book. And then on the right is one called uh, Vinite by Robert Benson. I know Bobby's doing this and several others are doing that one as well. And those are resources that will, there are many, many others, but those are kind of the most user-friendly. And I thought I'd just share with you uh, why I find it helpful. And I'm assuming that many of you are kind of like I am. This is not my tradition. As far as I can tell, the Bible talks about four different kinds of prayer. Uh, the most common kind of prayer is, is conversational prayer. And that's the great gift of the new covenant, the great gift of being a son or daughter of God. The Holy Spirit's in our heart. We can cry out, Abba, Father. We can go straight into his throne room as Danny prayed so powerfully. We don't have to write out our prayers. We don't have to be like the priests that make sure we get everything right. And so for me, conversational prayer is my normal way of approaching God. And I, you can see Jesus praying that, time, that way all the time, right? He's just lifting up needs as he goes through his life. You see the apostles in the book of Acts, they're not pulling out a prayer book very much. They are sometimes. It's called the Psalms. That was their prayer book. But they often just uh, stop what they're doing. Acts 4, hey, God, uh, we're being persecuted. Help. Stretch forth your hand. Second kind of prayer that you find in the Bible uh, we'll call contemplative prayer. The Bible says, seek thy face, uh, abide in my love. Contemplative prayer is sometimes called centering prayer or mystical prayer or listening prayer. But contemplative prayer is less about intercession. It's more about just being in the presence of Jesus. And uh, I love centering prayer. Uh, and it's usually you take a particular scripture, you just meditate on it. It's not all about, Lord, show me this. Lord, it's just sitting in his love, sitting in his face. Well, I love centering prayer. Third kind of prayer you see in scripture is praying in tongues. You see that in the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 19. You see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. That's a little different because Paul says that uh, that's a gift the Spirit gives whenever he feels like it. That's a very important part of my prayer life. But fixed hour prayer is a fourth kind of prayer that we see in the scriptures. And uh, many of us are not as comfortable with fixed hour prayer because we don't understand that that's the way the Jews prayed and the early church prayed in addition to all the other kinds of prayer. Which reminds me of the joke about the grill and the five iron. Um, a guy comes out to the golf course with a grill and a five iron, and he says to the foursome, does anybody want to bet on the gorilla? And they're all laughing, and they're saying, well, let's see what he can do. So he gets up at par five, and uh, he pulls it back, lets it rip. This gorilla hits that five iron 500 yards to the edge of the green. And so the rest of the guys, oh, I'm in, man. I'm gonna, I bet on the gorilla. You bet on the gorilla? I bet on the gorilla. So everybody bets on the gorilla. 
Guy takes the grill, he gets up to the greens, par five, he's you know, 15 feet away from a, what, a double eagle. Grill gets up with a five iron. Hits the ball 500 yards down, <laughs> down, down, the, down the rest of the golf course. You see the point, don't you? You're wondering, where on earth is this going? Uh, the, <laughs> the point is, you need more than a five iron, folks. Um, Good. You need more than a five iron. <laughs> I get one joke a year. It's in my contract. I just, I just use it. So my point being, if there are four different kinds of prayer in Scripture, conversational, contemplative, praying in tongues, and a fixed hour prayer, maybe we can grow by expanding and learning some other forms of prayer. And this is a good one to try. And I like it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I really like praying the Psalms. The, the, these, these prayers are f- filled with Psalms. And one of the things I like about Psalms is they're so oriented on praising the character of God. I, I, I just love how often God's character and attributes are praised and blessed in the Psalms. When I'm just praying conversationally, it's too easy for me to go, Hi, Lord, it's dark out, I'm sad, bless me, save me, forgive me. This just kind of elevates my, my prayer life. This morning's prayer began with this line from Psalm 30. Sing to the Lord, you servants of His. Give thanks for the remembrance of His holiness. For His wrath endures, but the twinkling of an eye, His favor for a lifetime. And that's... It's a beautiful way to start a prayer. I also like the written prayers. There are just some marvelous written prayers um, in, in our church's history. And uh, here's one that, uh, if I think we have it up there. Um, do we have that up there, Bruce? We do not. Um, I'll read it to you. Lord God, Almighty and Everlasting Father, you have brought me in safety to this new day. Preserve me with your mighty power that I may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all I do, direct me to the fulfilling of your purpose. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. I like that. I like that. I also like the feeling of peace and balance I get when I stop and pray morning, noon, and evening. And it's interesting. It's a spiritual battle every time I do it. And I don't always do it because there's always something more productive to do than pray. Even today, when I'm preparing a sermon on prayer, I struggle to stop and pray. And what I'm learning, there's something that happens spiritually when you step away from whatever you're doing. And I know you can't do this all the time. I get it. But when you, when you step away for 10 minutes and read a few psalms and, and a scripture and pray, it's, it's like saying to the, to the universe, I live by another clock. I'm governed by a whole different Lord than you are. It's, it's, it's really cool. And it just embeds these kind of convictions in your heart when you do it. Over and over and over again. It's really a beautiful thing. And I I just find myself feeling more centered and peaceful 
when I do it. I also like knowing that I'm, I'm praying the same prayers my spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters have been praying since before Jesus is born. That just feels right. And finally, th- this practice of, of praying the hours has helped me in the times in my life when I wasn't doing well spiritually and I couldn't form good prayers. And I've told you about the time between all, fellowship and all souls when it was in a very rough place spiritually and I wasn't really praying anymore and, I, and I, I was really struggling with my faith and my friend John Wood at Cedar Springs invited me to come to morning prayer over at Cedar Springs. We began going through the Book of Common Prayer and just walking through those beautiful prayers week after week restored my soul in a time I couldn't pray personally. Now, a good question at this point is, doesn't praying with a prayer book become dead and lifeless and meaningless? Isn't it better to pray as the Spirit leads? Well, it certainly can become dead ritual. It, it can, no doubt about it. Um, but let's be honest. Any spiritual practice can become dead ritual. I mean, you can go to a charismatic church, and it doesn't matter, it's, you know, and it's 9.30 in the morning, and you know, people may be just totally dead spiritually, and the first note goes up. Well, that doesn't mean they're godlier. It's part of their ritual. They're just going through the motions. You can pray in tongues that way. It doesn't mean it's, it's any better. And, and, you know, and I, I really do value sincerity, but I've sat through too many youth retreats where the youth speaker gets up and it's, and we just, and we just, and we just, Lord, we just, we just, we just, we just. And I say, would you just shut up and, and think about what you're praying? Can you at least say something of substance to the creator of the universe? Uh, it, so my point is, this isn't the only way to, to mess up prayer, right? And there's a lot of ways to mess up prayer. Um, I, I had a great question from a friend. They said, you know, we're reading Brother Lawrence right now. It's this great book, and that's that wonderful, wonderful book about praying all the time, you know, when you're doing dishes and pots and pans. And, and the question was, wouldn't it be better just to pray all the time? And I think it's both and and not either or. Uh, because remember, Brother Lawrence was a monk. So one of the reasons that he generated this, uh, this idea of praying all the time, was that he, that we, we have some prayer going on right now. Um, one of the reasons he was so good at discerning the presence of God was he practiced six times a day. And this is something that, that I think, what I'm finding, I've tried to kick this up and be more faithful this year, so I started an Advent. Do you remember last week when I read from that silly website about, it was like welldiggers.org or freshwater.org or something like that. So I, I was trying to illustrate cleaning out your well. And they said, one of the things that you can do to clean out your well is you can put a disinfectant in it and you can flush it through and the well hopefully will start to flow again. And this, now that I think about it, this is a bad metaphor, but I'm halfway in, so I'm going to go, go anyway. Yeah, yeah. well, at any rate, yeah. I find stopping to pray three times, mostly scripture, is sort of like putting a a disinfectant in my well. It just kind of washes me out. There's something about scripture that just washes 
me out. I mean, I've, by the end of the day, I probably prayed 30 scriptures. And what I'm finding is my conversational prayer is better. I can hear better. I'm finding I pray in tongues more, and I'm finding I'm more drawn to centering prayer. I'm also finding that a prophetic gifting is reawakening as uh, the noise gets a little uh, uh, more quiet in my, my head. Well, praying the hours is really a good way to, to keep the well clean. And, and somebody said, you know, but I just don't feel drawn to do that. Fine. Okay, let's move on. Um, it's also a good way for our church to bless our city. Now, I'm going to go old man on you here and tell you a story I've told many times before. Don't tune me out. It's a good story. Years ago, a group of monks built a monastery on a hill outside of a French village. And the villagers were not happy at first with the monks. They resented their arrival and uh, didn't really want them there. But over the years, they kind of got tired of, or they kind of forgot about the monks on the hill. And meanwhile, the brothers just prayed hour after hour, Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the brothers on the hill prayed for the village. Many years passed, and then one day a farmer brought his produce to market, and he was sitting there with his friends, and he says, you know, I swear my pumpkins are bigger than they used to be. And his friend, a farmer, says, you know, I, I could swear that my cow gives more well, milk than she used to give. And the sheriff walks by, and he says, and you know what? I swear we put fewer people in jail now than we used to. And then the three of them looked up at the monastery, and they knew why. Let's pray.